This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Tanner Hackett. Uh, Tanner, how are you, sir? Are you well? Best day in my life. <laughs> Good. Um, well, look, Tanner, you're obviously here from Counterpart. You and I know each other, which we were joking about uh, just, just, just now. But um, look, if the people out there don't know the Counterpart business, it'd be wonderful if we could start by introducing yourself and obviously what Counterpart do. Yeah, Counterpart is a management liability and professional liability insure tech. So we bring to be- together the experts from the insurance space and pair them with cutting edge technology and AI so we can place business more efficiently with uh, our small business customers. Amazing, amazing. I You've always sort of intrigued me. We've always had really fun conversations about insurance and, and insurance culture and, and kind of um, speed of change is the discussion that we talk about a lot, which I'm no doubt we're going to get into. But like, what's your journey into insurance? Because I remember kind of, it's always kind of struck me that you have this great outside of you, which you've always brought with you. But the, I think the sort of starting point of counterpart was quite interesting one because insurance wasn't wasn't the goal at the outset, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, you remember well. Um, so I'm an entrepreneur. I've created several companies before, uh, a large e-commerce company in Southeast Asia um, that was bought by Alibaba, uh, created uh, a marketing tech company in New York um, that's, that's done pretty well, now profitable. And I got into insurance because I saw just how hard it is to build businesses. I saw this... Um, this relationship between the employer and employees is the fundamental kernel for what makes a successful business. And I started to look into this um, and looking at the disparity between uh, those companies that were using cutting edge technology to support their employees and those that just didn't have the time uh, or resources to invest in these tools and, and trying to make it easier for them to access them. And so, yeah, Counterpart was uh, in the first iteration a uh, HR tech company. And so we were pairing together um, your learning management tools, uh, your employee onboarding tools, uh, recruiting tools, uh, employee feedback, um, uh, your performance management tools into one system. But ultimately realized that it's, it's more than just uh, a challenge of will uh, for these these businesses and in, in using the tools. Um, it, it's just uh, there isn't the demand. There isn't uh, the interest in a company attacking these challenges from a, a proactive risk mitigation standpoint. 
And instead of it, you know, uh, creating uh, uh, employee feedback uh, mechanism, they'll buy insurance to transfer that risk of having dissonance between the employee and the employer. And so, because when that happens, what could go wrong is they're terminated and there's um, a claim of wrongful termination. And that's just one instance, but you can see that how this culture and governance compliance side that we're trying to attack from uh, a, a proactive standpoint, um, insurance is that tool to help them sleep better at night or if, frankly, when it does occur, when in the course of building a business. So that's what got me fixated on insurance is I know that they're uh, small businesses, especially, which don't have the compliance uh, infrastructure, don't have an HR manager in many cases. They really struggle with this. And we wanted to be able to provide them with the products and services uh, that we knew would benefit them in the short and long term. Mm -hmm. Um, you could be describing my business there, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very lucky to have hired Rebecca, who's our uh, head of ops, who covers a lot of those bases for us. But I, I, you know, up until that point, you know, I mean, to that point, actually, I would, I would say that. So Rebecca came in and I thought I was running a pretty tight ship in my small little FinPro hat on. And um, uh, I subsequently found out there was a load of things that we were uncompliant with. And I just didn't know. And I, and I think, does that resonate with the kind of story of, is a part is there a part education piece as well to, to making counterparts successful is that people don't know what they're exposed to because they they simply don't know and, and how do you counteract that very much so you're specific, specifically talking about the risk mitigation piece which again this is a nice to have for a lot of businesses um how they attack this is first is through insurance and I think you've done enough of these podcasts to know that there's an overwhelming amount of complexity to the insurance industry right now. You think, hey, I have this, this problem with our business, we're growing, um, you know, we might have layoffs or, uh, you know, I have to make some, some tough decisions. Let's just get coverage just in case. And then a uh, agent or a carrier comes back to you with a 40 page document saying, oh, here you go. <laughs> and you have to mm -hmm. correlate this document with the exposures that you think you have. And it's all in the fine print. And so, yeah, I think um, at every level of uh, these businesses trying to be compliant and, and trying to uh, reduce their exposures, they're faced with information asymmetries. Uh, first, in the insurance procurement process, which this is why brokers exist. This is their job is to be those consultants, advisors to the small business. And then ultimately, as they as they get comfortable with um, having those exposures addressed through a policy, then to get ahead of them. And and that's a completely different conversation because, yeah, you're having it. Uh, you can have it at the managerial level, but it needs to be disseminated down to the individual employees. So. You know, creating a handbook. The handbook's only so good as long as it's communicated out to the, the organization. Or harassment and discrimination training. You know, great. It's nice that you offer it, but do you institute this into the, the company? How can we help you do that? Make it really seamless for a, for a company to do the things that we think they should be doing and in some cases are ob uh, obligated to do. 
how do you um it's funny actually we're, we're doing this recording and i'll let everyone into the magic i also did another recording this morning but i referenced the fact that we were going to have a conversation today and we were having a more industry-wide um discussion about how insurance is moving much more to a prevention model and 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 you know preventing the issue and then and then the great thing is obviously you then are underwriting better risks because your 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 insureds are, are are better managed and therefore they have a better risk profile inherently um but i'd like to sort of take a slightly deeper dive into how how does that work on a practical level um is it portals do you have people on hand to support what's the how does that kind of work in an operational standpoint yeah so first it comes down to having the resources so um and having the infrastructure and knowing where the exposures are because just like anything you have a massive surface area and there's an 80 20 rule of what the actual exposures are that a business faces the number one exposure is wrongful termination um yeah Wrongful termination, especially in this day and age where a lot of companies are having to do layoffs. Um, this is something that you need to have uh, clear guidance around and needs to be handled within the regulations of both the municipal, state and federal level. And each of them has a hand in, in how this happens, depending on the size of, of the business. So, um, yeah, mapping out those those nodes of where things can go wrong um, and having the tools and infrastructures to quickly um, uh, communicate this and and um, make it digestible to business is, is the most important. Uh, and of course you need a human there uh, to be able to um, almost sell this in in some cases because yeah, just reading a piece of paper. If if you ask a small business, and we did this, we did a survey of um, of CEOs. Uh, we asked them in our business insights report last year uh, what their biggest risks were and um, how they were th uh, everything from what their biggest risks were to how they're using AI. And there was this interesting convergence where um, we found that most businesses were actually looking at conducting a layoff. I think it was it was just around 50%. Um, and at the same time, over 80% were hiring. Well, what does that tell you? That tells us that structurally businesses are changing. That means that, yes, there are some roles that are no longer necessary at this company, and they're having to uh, recalibrate their workforce to what is actually uh, what they see as the future needs of the organization. So naturally you're going to have some layoffs that occur um, in these, these circumstances. Simultaneously, we're asking them, uh, how are you adapting these new tools and technology? And we found that 80% of them, plus I think it was closer to 90% of them were using AI today, which was shocking to me. In some form factor, they were using AI. And actually, only a small fraction of them saw AI as something that was going to replace their workforce. Rather, they saw it as something that was going to augment their workforce. So I just use these examples to show, showcase how uh, quickly the workplace is evolving. And 
the necessity of these businesses to be on top of uh, of these risks, have the tools to navigate them and get the support from the companies that have this information like us, which, which is really interesting um, when you think about that natural alignment between the insurance industry and their customers. I mean, it just makes sense. Mm -hmm. The insurance businesses have all the incentives in the world to provide these tools to their customers. It's going to reduce the claims frequency, probably the severity as well. But we haven't done it. And it just makes you think, why is that the case? Why have we not uh, done a better job as an industry to provide the resources that these businesses need? Um, and rather just, you know, we're, we're putting a Band-Aid on it with just the coverage. And I don't think it's anything nefarious, but I do think that um, there is a there is a gap in urgency uh, for the industry to do the right thing. And we hope that as in MGA, we're, we're backed by two great carriers, Aspen and Markel, um, they see the writing on the wall that this is the future of insurance. It's to be able to use the same data and tools that we use to underwrite insurance and make this a proactive tool for our small business customers. Hmm. I think it's just always frustrated me and, and the lack of proactivity we've seen, because if you know, essentially the data's all there, like, like insurance companies have this data, they have the information, they have the risks, they, un they understand like by, by method of like, what are our risks that we look at when we're, or what are our factors we look at when we're kind of creating an underwriting like profile and we're not sharing those. And I, like I've, I've said this too many times on the podcast that if anyone listens regularly, I'll, I'll apologize. But you know, the thing that always struck me is when I was buying my insurance and I'm buying essentially a probably equivalent of a bot policy. And, and but one of the factors I get asked is like, how much professional identity cover do you want as a, as a, as a recruitment business? And, I'm, and I said, well, I don't know. What's the average claim for a professional identity claim against a business like mine? And they're like, we can't give you that information. And I'm like, well, then how do I make that decision? And 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 it was it was that kind of going. I know that information exists within that business. Now they're they're unwilling to give it to me because it goes down as advice. And I suppose that that's a discussion for another day. But it, it felt to me that there's a mechanism which you can adjust that. Saying typically businesses have this, whereas the information I got back was, oh, typically everyone takes this and it's like, of any business. I was like, well, that's not relevant to my situation. And and that's just like, it, it, it's an example I use so often because I'm like, the information exists within that organization to provide me with that data, or at least give me a range which is applicable to my industry, but I'm not being given it. And I know, therefore, I'm not getting the best insurance experience I should, but I also am operating knowing that I could be at risk. Um, and that is not in the bracket of making me sleep at night, which is what I buy my insurance for. So, um, on that simple equation, that data has always been there. Um, Tana, I wanted to ask you about SMB businesses specifically. Um, why do you think it's been so hard for insurance to kind of effectively service small businesses? Um, is it just because it's the value of the policy versus kind of how much they can put in is technology a bit that but that's my theory but i don't know what do you think specifically is an issue there um so if you look at the structure of a traditional insurance business 
they are just ill-equipped to manage these very small uh, premium uh, policies. Because especially in the case of management liability and professional liabilities, these are very broad exposures. You're having to underwrite from everything, uh, bankruptcy risks to uh, you know employee theft, like in the case of crime. Uh, and professional liability, we know how broad that gamut is. Uh, and um, this usually means that a human needs to underwrite every single policy at a carrier because just as you were talking about the data is inaccessible to uh, the external world, <laughs> in a lot of cases, it's not even available to them. Yeah, They yeah, haven't choice. structured the data. They have decades and decades of underwriting experience. but it has been structured in a way that's actually useful. And so they're looking at this equation of, it takes almost as much time to underwrite a small business account as it does for an account that's 10X the size. And consequently, that is not profitable for them. They, they just, the, the operating costs of doing so uh, makes it unattractive. We came in with the approach of, Absolutely. We know that we need human underwriters because, again, this coverage is so broad. However, we're going to let the data do 70% of the work to begin with. Mm. And now it's up to like 95% of the work. And so the, the underwriters are spending their time on where they can, can actually provide critical leverage through their intuition and experience, as opposed to a lot of the administrative work that comes with traditional carriers from inputting data to you know, uh, creating a PDF and sending it out. All this stuff, it's kind of mind-blowing, but traditional carriers are still doing. And so, yeah, as, as I looked at the SMB space, um, it's two folds. It's, it's one, I, I just don't think they're getting adequate service uh, from the coverage and, and, and products and services. But two, um, yeah, from the carrier perspective, they also just they can't do it. Uh, given the the legacy uh, uh, infrastructure that they have, yeah, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, I, and as I was, as you were talking, I was saying this 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 just appears to be the real untapped opportunity within insurance, and we're seeing that. I mean, there's been a trend towards SMB focused um, insurtechs popping up, and and because the efficiencies aren't there to kind of profitably do that business. Um, but also, I think I think it's there's something of the personal touch that's missing for small businesses, which small businesses want and desire a lot of the time. I mean, as a small business, I, like I know how much I value like insight and advice and, and cause you still feel like you're operating without the, the really the infrastructure you would want. Like ideally if you get to scale, you have your HR team and you have your insurance expert and you have your legal team. But when you don't have that, you want that high touch. So it's kind of like high touch, but effectively, I suppose, low reward from an incumbent insurer perspective. Um, yeah, and uh, so I just, touched, I just touched on the carrier part, but the brokers also have the same paradigm. Mm -hmm. So much less efficient for a broker to serve mm -hmm. a small business, again, a $2,000 policy, than it is for them to serve a, a medium-sized business where it's, Thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. You know the commission take rate is the same, uh, but the absolute value is much different.
And so we also provide that value proposition to them of, of providing the information in a very intuitive way uh, where it's consumable to them. They can see the difference differences in our policy. We call out what makes us unique, um, what the benefits are, what the limits and sublimits are, and the endorsements, et cetera, and, and all the tools and services that are available to the customer that are unique to, to counterpart. Hmm. Um, I think that I yeah just jumping on that point actually I think I think pointing out where the gaps and differences are just like a huge part of it. I mean I I, I didn't know myself and yeah bear in mind we're we're talking as insurance people quote unquote you know I, I always struggle with that. It's like I'm just renewing my car insurance and I'm sure it's pretty vanilla coverage. I mean holiday and travel insurance is where I probably get the most challenges. It's like they look the same, but. They're probably not, and they're probably significantly different in parts. So I think I think we don't do enough of exposing ourselves. And, and I think that's a really positive thing to hear that when you're actually pointing out that this is where we are different and this is where the gap is. And obviously we're going to sell the benefits, but just why it's different and why these policies don't look the same. Because when you get confronted with a 40-page document, <laughs> you kind of want them to be. I suppose the desire is they must be roughly similar because they're they're long and confusing. Did did you think about that in the product design in terms of kind of how long things like your wordings are just because you're dealing with SMB businesses as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought about this. You know, I took my lens of building businesses for consumers um, where we had a good deal of success, and and realized that yeah, this is you have to apply the same UI. UX knowledge and think about how do you make something that in some cases almost feel like feels like it's intentionally made more complex by the industry and how do you mm -hmm. simplify this uh, for for the actual customer but at the same time I think that this is the value proposition of a broker and it's why we chose to go through brokers because a great broker is one that is going to, we can make it as simple as possible, but there is nuance to purchasing an insurance policy. Um, the, the, every word does matter on a policy form. And so I, I see the brokers as evolving from simple market makers where they, you go come to them and say, I need X type of insurance. And they say, okay, I got three markets for you. Here you go. And they, they shell it out to you and you say, uh, okay, what, what do I do with this? To somebody that's more coaching you as a business because they're not doing the work on their end to go, you know, ping carriers and follow up with them. Rather, this is automated through things like APIs. Their work comes on the front end now versus the back end. And it's delivering this message to you in a concise way where you can make a quick decision and to have answers for you when you come back and ask Things like, what's the, what are the appropriate limits for a business my size? Or what's the average claim? This information is the value add of that broker and customer relationship. And, and we are getting there. Not to mention the most important part of the whole insurance purchasing experience, claims. And to have an advocate for you in the claims. And um, I don't know if you saw our recent announcement, but uh, we announced that we've taken over claims for all of our management liability policyholders. And this was a really important milestone for us because similar to how we've solved this problem of using data and technology to underwrite more efficiently, uh, the 
claims uh, part of insurance, especially management liability and professional liability, is, is still very, very complex. And it lacks the investment, even that you're seeing on underwriting. Everybody loves to talk about underwriting and all the tools and uh, the investments they're making. I still think it's crazy and uh, a lot of it um, uh, hasn't worked out well. But claims hasn't even gotten that look yet. Uh, hasn't even gotten the attention. And so we're still talking about people, spreadsheets and, and information all over the place, which means that it really comes down to the unique experience of a single claims manager uh, to uh, manage something where they're sitting on the other side of a plaintiff's bar that <laughs> is in many ways working together to try and increase the average claims outcomes. And you're seeing this in the form of social inflation. Mm -hmm. And so we've built infrastructure so that our claims managers are collaborating much more closely and in, uh, in pairing with underwriters. So when they see trends occur, it's going back to the underwriting team and we're addressing this on the front end with the next policyholder that we bring in to make sure that we have the proper terms and coverage and there's knowledge about the exposures that they may, might face during the policy term. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think that um, there, there's so many parts of this industry that if you just shake that tree, uh, you're going to find that um, there's there's opportunity for improvement, mm -hmm. which is which. Uh, sorry to continue on this monologue, but it's that is very contrary to. Did you see this recent Wall Street Journal article on Silicon Valley uh, must get comfortable with insuretech being boring? Did you read this? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what, what what did you think of that? <laughs> I just, I just, I just loved everything about it. I was, I was like, yeah, exactly. And, and I was like, it's boring, and it should be. Was my, was my, was my take. It was like, it's boring, and it should be. It's like, it's about risk management. It's about risk management well. Um, and and every step we get inflated into the bells and the whistles, and we don't stick to the you know what it's there for. And the claims is a really good example. The further we get from the core, then the more we've forgotten about what we're here to do in the first place. So, um, but it was, you know, it was preaching to the converted, you know, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I you, you nipped in there with about claims because I wanted to ask you about claims because I realized it's such a, it's a much more prominent part of your offering. Um, you can even see that on the kind of, I know you went through a bit of a redesign on, on the, on, uh, uh, the website and kind of, um, logos, which I really like by the way. Um, but, um, I just thought, um, it was interesting how much more prominent claims was, is that something that was always the plan or is that evolved out of just how your relationship's been with policyholders and, and brokers and, and it's just, it, or was that always something you wanted to do? Yeah, so, so you guys who are listening can check out the website at yourcounterpart.com, quick plug. <laughs> uh, it is beautiful, Randy. Uh, our, our marketing it is, team. It is good. Uh, Ryan Capra and Megan Linney did a, a fat, fantastic job with this. Um, it's always been part of the plan. It's been in my pitch deck since I transitioned into the uh, from an HR tech to insure tech. Um, and I think it does speak to that article, that, that Wall Street Journal article, where it depends on your perspective on what's boring. Because, yeah, we're not creating a new app or we're not, you know, 
sending people to Mars, but we are doing something that's fundamentally different. And I think actually there's a ton of innovation happening, but the, the problem is, is that the time in which you see that tr transition is much slower than I think many investors want. And so it, it, they have, they're willing to give you money and say, just grow. And you have to pause there and realize that if you take that money, you will burn it. If you take their money and listen to their advice, you will burn it and you will not even make a dent in this industry. It is like finding the cracks in this industry and then expanding. So it's, it's more like water and ice than it is fire. And so, yeah, when I, when I think about claims, this was part of a natural evolution in, in our business plan. We always knew that uh, by pairing insurance experts with technology, we would be able to create change over a long time. That plus our culture, which celebrates innovation, celebrates people taking risks, was the formula for me. And then the investor capital is just the fuel to make this happen. Yeah. And yeah, we've seen a ton of success with um, being able to not only save money through operating claims more efficiently, but then impacting our loss ratios. So the tune of tens of percents in some cases of what we thought the outcome should ordinarily be uh, if it was handled in the regular course of business by a TPA um, it versus what our outcomes were, which is important to note that this is not necessarily just because we, we are invested in having better loss ratios. We want to get this off the books of the, the small business as quickly as possible. They don't want to be dealing with this. The last thing they want to be worrying about when they're just trying to make cash flow is a claim that could be existential for them. That's why you bought your insurance. It's because we're that shield that protects them from these, these sharp edges of, of uh, building a business that in some cases aren't even preventable. You know, things happen in a business. Uh, somebody makes a mistake. We're human. And we want to be able to put a ring fence around this protect the small business and settle this as quickly as possible. So we can give them a thumbs up and say, you're good. Please continue with the great work you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 that's so important. I mean, I think, I think we, that's where this kind of proactive approach to insurance really resonates with me because, you know, everyone knows that if anyone's ever had a claim, whether it's personal, whether it's like in the business, it's, it's, it, Hopefully it's not all encompassing, but particularly in the business, if it's an existential threat to your business, then it is all encompassing. It's it's you genuinely losing sleep about it, you're worrying about it, and and that not knowing doesn't allow you to plan. And for small businesses, planning is 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 crucial and 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 fickle because you know I, mean, I know this is my own. You know we have the best laid plans and everything's quite significant, um, and it can shift very quickly because you've you've only got so many resources. So. It's hugely important to us. Um, and everyone knows I'm obsessed with claims, so I'll always talk about claims forever. So because um, I spent such a large part of my career just, just working with the claims community. Um Any, anytime you want to muse on that, I think it is I think it's the, the, the bastion of learning for insurance. 
Uh, yeah, I love talking to claims people. Well, what, what's always stuck with me? So I, I used to purely do claims recruiting for about six years of my And I had these conversations and roundtables and you didn't see C-suite people come through claims. And I kind of understood it because if you say, right, insurance is really about growth and distribution. But then you also have people coming through from underwriting. And I was like, right, okay, that's... I, I, I sort of thought, I don't know if that track's true. I, I sort of understood the theory, but I was like... That's buying into a certain kind of theory. Um, and then someone said, well, this is an underwriting director. And when you put some smart people in claims, we'll stop people having some uh, claims people in charge. And I was like, the suggestion there's no smart people in claims, I find absolutely hilarious. Um, but um, but no, I mean, that's sort of joking aside. It's, it's, it's where you learn. It's where you get feedback. It's it's like the idea of like not listening to claims. It's like we're going to be in business and not listen to our customers. And we're going to be successful. It's like it's just not going to be true. Um, I'm really conscious of time, Tara. So I wanted to kind of um, uh, just, just probably ask you this last question. Um, do you think you'll evolve because you're building this relationship with SMB businesses? You're getting to know them better. Is there a world where you start offering other additional lines of business like cyber? Would you look at, for example, in with the same sort of context, or is it stick it to your lane that's kind of led to you be successful? And we'll, we'll stay down this pathway. So our, our lane continues to expand. We started with just management liability and um, employee practices, DNO and fiduciary. We expanded to crime insurance. Then we expanded with offering an excess product. Then we offered a miscellaneous professional liability product. Um, and we're continuing to expand our appetite. However, I, I have to do the math on where I think we have a novel advantage. Because much to what we spoke about, this comes down to having data assets and expertise where you can provide value. And if you look at the relationship between management liability and professional liability, there's clearly some underlying exposures that are, are related. And that's to a lesser degree with cyber. So I think cyber is a really interesting category. It does overlap uh, in, in a few dimensions, just in, in the, the exposure to uh, the directors and officers if they're, they're completely negligent. But I, just, I don't see it as much as um, professional liability and management liability. And our data doesn't show that either. So I think uh, we're firmly rooted in management liability and professional liability. And this is where I think the advantage comes from this the second and third wave of insurtechs. It is we don't have to be everything to everybody. In fact, I, our value comes from just the opposite of that. Our value comes from being expertise experts in our unique coverage areas, and then being able to provide this to the niche businesses. And when I talk about niche businesses, you know. How many dentists and healthcare and um, restaurants and technology companies are there that need this insurance? Well, the answer is there's hundreds of thousands and millions if you look at the true uh, small small businesses and they're underinsured. So um, we take the approach that is we wanna be absolute PhDs in these coverages and be the best provider of this important line versus uh, the traditional carrier that, you know, they can have a tough year and 
not be great in a certain area because they'll make it up for another area. We want to be the absolute best in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I, I think it goes back to that kind of full circle a bit towards the kind of investment markets that we've looked at and, and this kind of insurance being boring, what if boring. It's like taking the time to build the kind of, like I love the PhD level thinking in your subject matter area. And then of course it's a big enough area to grow an enormous business, but it will take time and it will take kind of uh, expertise and investment in talent and, and investing in the right talent to sort of get there. And, and, and I think some of these kind of like earlier stage insurtech investments were just trying to ignore that timeline that we all know is there and we've all seen. Um, of course, we can shave a few points off because we can use some better tech and we can we can help our people by giving them tech. But um, at the same time, it's uh, yeah, it's having that long term investment thinking, um, which is which is been been absent a few times in the last few years. But seems like sanity is is, is returned, so that's great. Um, Tanner, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I've, I've wanted to do this for a long time. Uh, you're someone who's I always think's got an interesting take on things. So thank you so much for taking the time out to be a guest on the Leadership and Insurance podcast. Great to be here, Alex. Thank you so much for having me.